Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Greetings, hushlings. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our paisan, Slick Frog Sanders. Bonjour, no friends. How you doing? Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. We're in season two. Hell yeah, boys, we made it. We made it. We here. We got through ten debriefings. Here we are on ten 11. debriefings. Yeah, this is this is uh this is pretty good. I like it. I like it. Welcome to everyone. This is monumental. You could almost say it's this is holy ground. <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks ago. We did our live show, Debriefing 10, where we answered questions from you fellow hushlings. In Debriefing 10, we covered the Oddfellows Secret Society as well as the Dialogue Pass. I had a ton of fun with it. It was a pretty awesome debriefing. It was cool having the live feedback and, you know, people interacting. Yes, Thank you to everybody that showed up and submitted their questions and their comments and really made the live show very, very special. It exceeded our expectations, at least for me it did. Oh, absolutely. The entire first season exceeded my personal expectations, and we're super blessed to have everybody. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag. Yeah, hashtag, hashtag, hashtag blessed. It's awesome to see everybody who participated in the live show, hopefully... We'll have a ton more in episode 20, but it's also really awesome, the feedback and how big we grew with a community that we have on social media and our listeners from just the last 10 episodes, like less than three months. It's pretty wild. Thank you. This debriefing, debriefing number 11, season two, number one. We're going to confuse the hell out of you, debriefing 11 or number one. <laughs> but we are going to take a seat in the pews and unlock a ton of doors that take hours to unlock and lock at the end of every day in the Vatican. <laughs> but before we get into this sacred debriefing, we just want to remind everybody of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are also on TikTok we got a little hush talk going, and if you don't know what TikTok is, don't worry, we don't really know what it is either, but we're working our way through it. You can also find us on Instagram. We have an apparel page, which we will be releasing merch soon, and we have our normal page, which Dave always memes it up on. Fantastic. Well, let's take a seat and, you know, kneel, stand, kneel, stand, I don't know. <laughs> And talk about the Vatican. So the Vatican city-state, also known as the Vatican, became independent from Italy with the Lateran Treaty signed in 1929. And it is a territory under full ownership, exclusive dominion, sovereign authority, and jurisdiction of the Holy See, which is a sovereign entity of international law which maintains the city temporal, diplomatic, spiritual independence. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. The Vatican City is 121 acres and has a population of about 825 people. Oh, it's a small city. The name Vatican was already in use in the time of the Roman Republic. The Romans considered this originally uninhabited part of Rome ominous, as it was a marshy area on the west bank of the Tiber River, 
across from the city of Rome. The official Italian name of the city is Citta del Vaticano, or more formally, Stato della Citta del Vaticano, meaning Vatican City-State. It is the smallest sovereign state in the world, both by area and population. Vatican City is one of the few widely recognized independent states that has not become a member of the United Nations. Why would they? I was just going to say, what, now why do you think that is? Why wouldn't they become a part of the United Nations? Is everybody in the United Nations has a militarized complex to it. Right? Yeah, that's true, but I, I feel like the Vatican doesn't. They have a lot to defend, or at least protect, and I feel like being in the United Nations, you get that protection, you know? Something to look into. That's deep. The UN also deals with world politics and world, like, saving the world and doing better for peace across the planet, right? So don't you think that the Vatican or the Catholic Church would back something like that? You would assume so. I think it depends in their actual politics, which is... It's a monarchy where the head of the Catholic Church is absolute power. Pope exercises principal, legislative, executive, judicial power over the state of the entire Vatican City. And it's an entity of the Holy See. And we've said that once or twice already. And the Holy See, it's, it appears to, it's like it's like a group, the top. We were talking about this earlier, actually. The Holy See is in charge of the Pope's Instagram Yes, if you didn't know that the Pope has an Instagram. <laughs> Pretty recent news, he went on and liked a picture of some Brazilian supermodel's uh, picture on Instagram. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> she got that blessed booty. The funny thing is, is like she's, she's, she's a Brazilian model, so she's got a big butt, right? And she was dressed in like this Catholic school girl outfit. Uh, <laughs> oh, they got the tags, man. They got him. <laughs> but they they kept saying they're you know they they kept referring to the Holy See and saying, oh well, the Holy See is in charge of the 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 Instagram and the Pope himself didn't really like the picture, so they're the Pope loved the picture. Yeah, I mean it's I guess it's any PR move, right? Like you got people. Is Donald Trump actually writing those tweets, or is it like in Space Force where you have, you know, no. what's his name that writing dude, all those that tweets? That dude for is him. on his little uh, Surface tablet writing <laughs> tweets every five fucking minutes about how everything is terrible. It would, it would make sense. <laughs> we talk about the Holy See. The Vatican City is governed by it. The Vatican City State is a type of theocracy ruled by the Pope, who is the Bishop of Rome. And the head of the entire Catholic Church. Double duty. The Holy See dates back to early Christianity and is the principal Episcopal See of the Catholic Church. The independent state of Vatican City, on the other hand, came into existence on February 11th, 1929, by the Lateran Treaty between the Holy See and Italy, which spoke of its new creation. Yet, it was made up of much larger palpal states, which had previously encompassed much of central Italy. The unique economy of the Vatican City is supported financially by donations from the faithful, by the sale of postage stamps, souvenirs, fees for admissions to museums, and sales of publications. Can you imagine buying Vatican merchandise? No. <laughs> Not me either. I, you'd have to be like a oh, fucking diehard Catholic fucking fanboy. I mean, I feel like that's beyond religion. But I mean, people get like religious t-shirts and tattoos, so maybe. I went to the Vatican and all I got with this was this t-shirt. Was this fucking yeah, it was bumper this sticker t-shirt? Yeah, actually, you know, I mean, 
I have experience working for a company where people are crazy about merchandise when it comes to a location. So I get it. And that's not even religious based. So I can only imagine what you can buy. Can you imagine like Pope bumper stickers and, you know, it's just it'd be holy water and a vial around your neck. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, let me get this right. Are there no taxes in the Vatican City if it's supported financially completely by donations and sales of postage stamps and souvenirs? I don't even I don't even know what Italy's taxes, so I don't know. I don't I wouldn't think that they're taxing the Vatican. If you look worldwide, especially in the United States, churches aren't taxed. Nope. A funny thing is is they say if they started taxing churches, then we could feed every hungry person in the world, like starving person in the world. We could solve all these different problems because churches make up a lot of income through donations and whatnot. And, and now looking at this, merch, merchandise. So <laughs> I want one of those Buddy Christ. Buddy Christ. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I want one of those, man. You know, they're selling them out. Before we go further frank said about the all the other states that made up of italy and how mike also said that they spoke of this whole vatican as a new thing now those all the independent states in italy encompassed from 756 to 1870 so this is a treaty that happened in 1929 hmm. that's a long time there's a lot of major religious and cultural sites inside the Vatican. One being St. Peter's Basilica, St. Peter's Square, which is Piazza San Pietro. Hmm? Fuck that. I fucked that up. No, you did. That was, that was right. Yeah. Sounded authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The most famous, the Sistine Chapel. Hmm. Obviously, probably one of the craziest and most fascinating pieces of artwork that humans have ever done. A lot of, a lot of angels with their junk covered up by clouds. <laughs> or not covered up. They're sitting on the clouds and their junk is out. Oh my god. <laughs> they're ETing <laughs> themselves. It's like that scene from E.T. Ouch! And you hold out your finger. Ouch. God touches it and, you, <laughs> and everything's yeah. better. There's the Vatican Necropolis, the gardens, the libraries themselves, and all the museums. They have like an Egyptian museum. No shit. Yeah, yeah. Like a huge Egyptian museum. And you know, what's compelling about that is obviously the Roman Empire and Egypt. They coincide with the same timeline. The way you learn it in, in school, at least from what I remember, is that it was different times. And a lot of it coincides together. That's cool. Oh, they have all this Egyptian stuff. Well... Caligula stole the Vatican obelisk, which was originally from Heliopolis in Egypt, to decorate the circus, I guess, the whole area of St. Peter's Square, I would imagine, because that's where the obelisk is. And this area actually, in 64 AD, became the death of many Christians after the Great Fire of Rome. I believe this is spoken about with Nero. The Roman historian and senator Tacitus referred to Christ, his execution by Pontius Pilate, and the existence of early Christians in Rome in his final work, Annals. The context of the passage is the six-day Great Fire of Rome that burned much of the city in AD 64 during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. The passage is one of the earliest non-Christian references to the origins of Christianity. The execution of Christ described in the canonical Gospels and the presence of the persecution of Christians in first century Rome. Ancient tradition holds that it was in this circus that St. Peter was crucified upside down. That's fucking brutal. Remains of this ancient necropolis were brought to light sporadically when popes were renovating throughout the centuries. In other words, 
there's some pretty interesting plots of land in the Vatican. One thing that sticks out to me is uh, the information about St. Peter. So a lot of people think that an upside down cross, it's antichrist or it's against Christ. In actuality, an upside down cross represents the crucifixion of St. Peter. And St. Peter was crucified upside down because he believed that he wasn't good enough to be crucified the same way as Jesus Christ. So throughout the Vatican, on different pieces of furniture, on some of the seats and, and chairs that the, the Pope sits on during masses and whatnot, you'll see upside down crosses. And a lot of people don't pay attention to that and they see an upside down cross and they go, oh, that's evil, it's evil, it's evil. It's not anything that's evil. It represents St. Peter and his, and his sacrifice of not being crucified the same way as Jesus. You mentioned the Pope. Let's talk about the Pope. Let's talk about the Pope. Young Popington. Yeah. The popes gradually came to have a role as governors of regions near Rome. They ruled the Papal States, which covered a large portion of the Italian peninsula for more than a thousand years until the mid-19th century when all the territory belonging to the papacy was seized by the newly created Kingdom of Italy. For most of this time, the popes did not live at the Vatican. The Lateran Palace on the opposite side of Rome was their habitual residence for about a thousand years. From 1309 to 1377, they lived at Avignon in France. On the return to Rome, they chose to live at the Vatican. Have you guys, uh, have you ever seen the choosing of a new pope? Never. I watched one the other day, actually, just to see how yeah. it goes down. It's pretty interesting. I remember years ago, it was like all over the news, obviously. But when the Pope dies, there's they make some sort of fire that sets off this smoke up the chimney of the Vatican. And then uh, it burns yes. and it burns. And then when the smoke, I believe it turns white. When the smoke turns white, they've chosen a new Pope. They chose a new Pope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very ritualistic, the whole thing. But I remember years ago being, and I'm not necessarily like a real religious person or anything, but I thought it was so interesting. And when they did it, you know, when it happened years ago, I remember just being glued to the news for like two days, like watching all the was things. It 2000, was it 2014 the last Pope? Um, was put in. I don't. I don't know. All I know, I think it was the fastest. I think it was the fastest of them pushing a pope in because there was all that sexual abuse stuff going on within the Vatican. So they just kind of pushed it along. Now that we covered some of the historical facts of the Vatican and the Vatican State, that brings us to why we're here: the conspiracies. Mm. So first off. We'll start with the archives. Yeah, I'd say that's where most of our conspiracies lie, is what these archives actually hold. The Vatican archives contain some pretty interesting documents. One of the most fascinating for me personally is the Galileo trial documents. And the Galileo trial was in 1633 and is still regarded today as the typical science versus religion confrontation. The astronomer was caught up within the Inquisition for propagating the idea that the Earth revolved around the Sun rather than the Sun revolve around the Earth. And documents from the trial actually has Galileo's own signature in it, which is pretty badass in my opinion. Isn't that wild? Just think about that. Like, Galileo, 1600s, they, they have paperwork, <laughs> it's court documents, with Galileo's signature on them. That's just, that's insane. It is and it isn't recording things in history is it's always been there. If I were able to see Galileo's signature. Yeah, that'd be pretty sick. 
Is that one of the artifacts you can actually go see, or is this still like on lockdown? I'm not sure. Well, that's the thing about the archives. A lot of these things are supposed. So these are supposed things that are in the archives, and then some of them are actual like confirmed items that that stay within the archives. So there's such a wide range of different things that are held within the Vatican archives. Stuff from as simple as, you know, Galileo trial documents to just insane proof that the, the Vatican was behind some of the most evil plots ever in existence, and the existence of angels and aliens. It, it's such a wide array of things that they have. It's under such lock and key that nobody really knows for sure unless the Vatican over the years has confirmed it. Nobody really knows what's exactly down there. Yeah, yeah. They have opened up the archives to like certain scholars but you go through some rigorous testing to make sure that you can I guess you have to pass it to get into it and then on top of it you have to learn Latin because mostly everything is in Latin. I think they, uh, they gave it to Tom Hanks. Are you serious? Well, I mean, he was in the Da Vinci Code, oh. of course. This wasn't actually the first time Galileo had been harassed for his opinions. Decades before, he'd been warned to stop voicing opinions about Earth's movement. Galileo's personal problems with the Pope led to the 1633 trial, which ended with him agreeing to recant his heretical theories and being put under house arrest for the rest of his life. Jesus. That sucks. And he was right. That's the crazy thing. He was yeah, right. I, yeah, that, was that's right. the wildest right. part. Like people in history that were able to figure shit out early were always ridiculed for it for the most part. And that just like blows me away, honestly. Next in the archives, we have the Knights Templar scroll. If you aren't familiar with the Knights Templar, they were a powerful force during the Crusades, not only controlling battlefields, but dominating massive reserves of wealth and power before they were eventually killed off by their political and religious opponents. Anyone who's heard of The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons by Dan Brown and the conspiracy theories about the Templar Knights will be interested to know that the archive possesses an ominous document written by the Templars themselves. The parchment itself is 196 feet long. Can you imagine? It's like a CVS receipt. <laughs> you know? And it's containing testimonies of 231 knights, and they were on trial for alleged blasphemy and immorality. Apparently, they were accused on spitting on crosses and kissing one another. So I, I don't know who came up with that. Mm. Apparently, they wanted to get rid of them because they made more money than the church probably so they were pissed the templar order would eventually be crushed many if not i mean pretty much all of them were brutally executed and the scroll in the archives is kind of a chilling artifact of the turbulent time of you know just wiping out a sect or did they see but here's the thing this is where especially when it comes to the knights templar like they the knights templar were on a a mission to convert as many people in the world as they could to the Catholic Church. So it's not like these guys went out on their own and decided, hey, we're just going to start killing people and wiping out these villages and towns and all this other stuff. They were under Vatican rule. The Vatican told them to do this. So for these guys to go out and for years on end, go and crusade and, and do all this stuff in the name of God and in the name of the Pope and in the name of the Vatican, and then they come back and they're treated like criminals is is crazy like a gag order of the most extreme i do want to say though that the knights templar only took like 20 or so years to gain a handful of people to like 20 30 000. so mm. that's pretty impressive at that time in history back then 
You have to think about the way that people looked at religion. I think join us or you'll go to hell. Yeah, but also a lot more people believed in in religion. But I would imagine during the 16, 17, 1800s, people held on to their religion and were more religious back then they than they would be in current day. Yeah, this was about this was the 1300s when they were taken out. Yeah, so so for an army to roll up and say, "Hey, you can join us. We're fighting on the side of God." And God wants us to do this. The Pope wants us to do this. The the church wants us to do this. Any religious person would jump on that, especially a person who is, they probably got money for their family. They probably received some sort of kickback for doing it. Plus whatever pillaging that they did along the way that wasn't on the, on the Vatican books. How hard would it be to gather an army like that when you have most of the population believing in the good book? Do you think the Knights Templar were cooking the books? I would think so. There's always rumors of Knights Templar treasure and the treasure of the knight. Most rumor is based in fact in, in one way or another. So if you have all these stories and tales of the Knights Templar having these secret treasures hidden around the world, it would make sense. These guys are out there, they're going into battle, they're killing, they're being killed. They're not going to go out and not get any, you know, no reward. If you were out there, you're pillaging villages and you guys find gold coins, you know, are you going to say, oh, all this goes to the church? Or are you going to say, well, I could keep a couple things for myself and my family so that we're good after this is all done yeah that's oh they true. were rich as hell hushling we'll be right back after this short message fact over 700 people have been killed by the hands of the police just this year alone i'm katherine sheffield host of the weekly podcast a few bad apples each week i unravel true stories of victims whose lives have been affected by bad apple officers of the law i bring this relevant conversation into the public spotlight because it's a way to provoke change and reform not all officers are bad and in fact i highlight a positive story at the end of every episode to balance the spectrum a Few Bad Apples is available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. That brings up another really, and and I think for me, this is one of the most interesting things that they might have in their archives, is the Grand Grimoire. It was written in the 16th century by Heronius of Thebes. He was claimed to be possessed by the devil. Within the book, it's said to have instructions on how to make magic amulets, spells, and even how to summon demons. Most shocking of all, it even offers instructions as to how to summon the devil himself and make a deal with him. When you, when you talk about them having that, if they have that book, it's also claimed that Satan himself is being held within the Vatican's secret archive, which... It's crazy. That's a crazy claim. And the Vatican's most senior exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth, conducted thousands of exorcisms before his death. He had supposedly spoken to the devil himself at one point within his career, although the circumstances of this encounter are unknown. Amorth claimed that Satan was hiding somewhere within the Vatican. <laughs> that kind of goes with something that I've always 
had in the back of my mind when I thought about the Vatican, and especially when you know about the Grand Grimoire, is was there a point in the Vatican's history or in the church's history where they actually might have used this book and reached out to the devil himself? Now, if they're saying that they have Satan himself locked in the archives, is it possible that he may have escaped at some point in all these years and taken over the Pope himself? He's the fucking devil. I think anything's on the table. Well, if you go with, I guess, the lore, but if you go with the way the devil is, wasn't he himself excommunicated from heaven to watch over souls in hell as a punishment? Mm. He's an angelic being in itself. Why wouldn't the Vatican want to try to communicate with that type of celestial being or angelic entity or whatever? Because even though he's Satan or the devil or the caretaker of hell or souls or whatever he may be, why wouldn't they want to have a chit chat? Maybe that's why the Pope is over here liking thick booty biddies on Instagram because he's actually Satan. That brings up a good point. It seems like such a small thing. Like, if you really look at it, oh, well, the Pope, he's a lonely ass dude, but he's still a dude. And if he has an Instagram, I'm sure he's looking at big booty bitches all day. But if you look at the history of the Pope, especially within the past 10 years or so, then you would look at the acceptance of gay marriage. Even recently, we're talking about how the Pope all of a sudden says, you love who you want to love. And he, in a roundabout way, gave blessing to to homosexual relations. And then he goes and he likes an Instagram post of some Brazilian model. And he, over the years, has said, science is also a creation of God. And before all these things are said, that goes against literally everything that the Vatican and the church has been saying for thousands of years. Is it possible that in contacting Satan or in summoning Satan, either holding him in the archive as a prisoner or contacting him and he got out, if I were the devil and I got out, who would you want to possess? The holiest person on, on the planet. Yeah. Exactly. Who worships Who worships your father. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So making deals with the devil. And that's that's yeah. pretty popular in like a lot of pop culture right now. A couple individuals that I won't name that are relatively famous actually claim that they've like made deals with Satan for fame. Interesting. So it brings us to another topic that the Vatican might be housing is the existence of aliens, mm-hmm. which we're not too unfamiliar with here. Dr. Jose Funes, a priest who directs the Vatican Observatory on Mount Graham near Tucson, Arizona, was interviewed for a 2012 television program, and he made a remark that the universe is so vast that, quote, it would be possible that life could evolve the way we know it on Earth at other places. And this was from a show on television. That's a pretty bold statement that would kind of reverse like what you said before, 2,000 years of thinking, right? It's tough because as science grows, the church kind of has to acknowledge these things as being real and as being viable because if you don't, then you risk the possibility of your followers or people of the church looking at you with skepticism because are you so hard-nosed that you only follow the word of the book or are you willing to accept that there are new truths that we didn't know about 2,000 years ago? Yeah, it would make them lose their validity a little bit. Just a smidge. 
The Vatican's astronomical institution dates back to at least 1981 and shows that the church is an active participant in the scientific world. The observatory actually gave us the first photographic proof of the green flash at sunset. The Vatican is also claimed to house extraterrestrial skulls, skulls with elongated heads and small faces resembling what we know aliens to allegedly look like. These were found in 1998 under the Vatican Library, but that access to the site had been but that access to the site has been denied. And also, there's rumors that the archives contain evidence that the Pope is conspiring with aliens to implant us all with computer chips. Vaccines? Bill Gates? Huh? This is immense. I mean, there's like I think I watched something like I said earlier. It takes like two hours to unlock all the doors within the Vatican if you work there. Can you imagine just like just hitting all these massive doors with these giant skeleton keys and you have like 3,000 of them? <laughs> Big ass key ring. You have these cardinals and bishops and popes that are like moving around the Vatican at a snail's pace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting back to the devil thing, would you, uh, uh. I, I have a question for my, for my friends here. Would you make a deal with the devil? Let's say the devil himself came to you and promised you the riches of the world or to make you famous or to take your small podcast and make it a, a billion dollars. <laughs> would you make a deal with the devil? Dave, I'll let you answer this first. Especially if it meant you losing your soul, whatever that would be. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the parameter. I mean, what, what does it entail to lose your soul? Or to sell your soul to the devil. Yeah, you would be losing any potential at a next life, I'd assume. Or any further consciousness after death. It's so, it's, it's so hard to answer. I would have to go off on a limb and say no. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I would have to say no. I'm not incredibly religious, but if there is a life after this, I'd rather be there for it. But you wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. know. I mean, this is all a simulation anyways. But you, you would know in this life, like, you made a deal with the devil. You belong to somebody else. I mean, what does that really mean anyways? I don't know, because I don't know the dude, but... <laughs> At the end of this life, do you believe in a heaven or hell? If the devil is real, then hell must be real. And if hell must be real, then heaven must be real. But if you're talking about, like, reincarnation, you don't remember any of your past lives, if that's something that exists. And, okay, you sell your soul to the devil, he sends you to hell. For me, it's a little odd because you either live a really good life or you live a really crappy life and you probably end up going to hell anyway. If it's like Little Nicky's universe, <laughs> then I'm fucking down with it. I don't know if I necessarily believe in a heaven or a hell, so it just makes it that much harder of a question to answer. Yeah, it's a very hard question to answer. Which brings us to our next question. Does the archive house the existence if Jesus even existed? This is a wild one, man. Conspiracy theorists believe that the archives contain connections between St. Paul and the Emperor Nero pertaining to Jesus' existence and housing his biological descendants. Or no descendants. Who knows? The passage is one of the earliest non-Christian references to the origins of Christianity. The execution of Christ described in the canonical Gospels and the presence of and persecution of Christians in first century Rome. Some theorists also believe the Vatican may be hiding proof that Jesus did not exist. Eugenio Scalfari, an Italian journalist and atheist in 2018, wrote an article related to his interview with Pope Francis stating that the pontiff made claims that hell did not exist. 
this is the same guy in 2014 that I believe had made some accusations against the church and pedophilia. He's clearly a guy that has been on them for a while. And he admitted later that the words that Franck had just admitted that hell did not exist, it was stating that were not shared by Pope Francis himself. I guess it was something that he had manufactured. And in 2019, he wrote an article related to Pope Francis claiming that the Pope rejects the godly nature of Jesus Christ. And this is still denied by the Holy See. So this guy's all over the place. The nature of Jesus is definitely something the Catholic Church would want to hide, right? Absolutely. Can you imagine if he wasn't real and it's just fake the whole time? If he's real and having his descendants and bloodline and whatever they describe, you know how, like in the Da Vinci Code, all that stuff, if that's real, then that's something you definitely would want to hide. But if it's fake, that's something you really don't want to get out, especially if you have a billion plus people on the planet that are in that religion itself. Yeah, yeah, that would shatter centuries of lifestyle and the whole entire holy war would have been for nothing. It's always kind of the age old question for me when it comes to religion, especially when it pertains to aliens, just to bring them back into the fold. I think that even if the Catholic Church... Just like, just like the life of Jesus or the existence of Jesus or the existence of hell or heaven, if that was an answer that the church had, they don't want to release that answer, especially if they had proof of aliens. If you go and you release the existence of aliens to the masses and it's confirmed by the Vatican, it's confirmed by the Pope, it's confirmed by the church that aliens exist, then that brings into question the existence of God. And that brings into question the existence of Jesus and the existence of anything that might have happened within the church or within the Bible itself. So it's in the Catholic Church's best interest to keep those things under wraps. Because if you release that information, then you have a bunch of people questioning their religion. And religion, for the most part, and I think, I think it's one of the biggest things that it does, especially today, religion keeps people in check. Because imagine a world where religion didn't exist. Imagine a world where there were no consequences for what you did in this life. There is no heaven or hell. There is no God overseeing what you're doing. There is no divine being that's going to come to you at the end of your life and say, let's run down all the shitty things that you've done. If that was all fake and that was all fabricated, then just imagine what the world would be like. Just imagine the chaos. That's the simplest word for it. There would be utter chaos in this world if religion didn't exist. If tomorrow, all of a sudden, the Vatican came out and they said, aliens exist, God is fake, Jesus never lived, heaven and hell is a fabrication, what would happen? All the toilet paper would be gone. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, the first thing would be all the toilet paper. Yep, you're right. (laughs) After that, it's anybody's fucking word. I I don't don't know. know. I don't even want to know. That's, that's like... A lot of houses would probably get broken into. A lot of stores would probably be lit on fire with Molotov cocktails. Churches would be burned. (laughs) Cars would be exploded. It'd be some crazy shit. Or would it even itself out? Because if you think about it, think of how many sects of uh, of a religion or how many groups of a religion or how many people that belong to a religion that do stuff in the name of God. They go and they blow themselves up or they go and they, they kill a bunch of people or they it's, well, God was speaking to me and, well, you know, this is the word of God and this is what, what God wants me to do. So would it be those people just stop being fucking murderous pieces of shit and then the calm... 
<laughs> stay at home and read my Bible, secret psychological fucking serial killers would come out of the woodwork. Yeah, I I think so. But okay, so I see what what you're getting at. Like the the two sides would kind of flip and even itself out. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Is is that the possibility or the problem that's being pushed by belief would go away, but then the actual mental illness would come out. <laughs> yeah. There's also the conspiracy theory that the great Illuminati control the archives of the Vatican. Now, if you know anything about the Illuminati, they are a secret society veiled in all mystery, and they're heavily tied to the Catholic Church. There's not much information on the Illuminati. We see their symbols all over the place, you know, the all-seeing eye. There's a lot of talk of the Illuminati extending into pop culture, into our music, into our TV, into everything that we see on a daily basis, and they flaunt it right in front of us. Covers of magazines where the models are showing their one eye or covering the one eye. It's all based in the Illuminati. And as there's not much information about them, there is the possibility that they may be tied to another group, which we've already spoken of. Which would be the Knights Templar. We talked a little bit about the Templar Knights. Go a little deeper on... The Knights Templar was an order of monastic knights set up to defend the Alaska Mosque in Jerusalem, which was seized in the First Crusade. They declined after the Christians were expelled from the Holy Land in the 13th century. King Philip IV of France owed the order a ton of money and land. To avoid repaying his debt, he persuaded Pope Clement V to put the members on trial for heresy. Ah, oh, so it all comes full circle as to why they were mm -hmm. uh, they were being put to death for doing stuff that the Vatican told them to do. <laughs> the Pope tried them, and while he found them guilty of immorality, the key charge of heresy was found to be false. The Pope accepted their arguments and absolved them of heresy. King Philip was not satisfied, and he pressured the Pope to reverse the verdict, and the head of the order of his closest associates were burnt at the stake. Jesus. The order's riches were handed to a rival knightly order, and the surviving knights faded away. It was a demonstration of power. Brutal. It's kind of interesting, though. It brings the connection of maybe, possibly, the Knights Templar being what evolved into the Illuminati, because you have these guys that were very dedicated to the church, and went on these crusades and risked their lives and killed a bunch of people, and they come home to find that the Vatican and the church went against them just because somebody, for lack of a better word, begged them to do it. Yeah. If you have all these surviving members, you know, like Dave said earlier, they had 20,000 members. They obviously didn't kill all of them. So it's not that far off base to believe that even if you had a hundred of these members left, you know, a hundred Knights Templar that were left living after the Crusades and after these trials, that these guys, they s sat back in darkness, they grew their numbers, they plotted and planned against the church and against the world and spread out like a virus and over the course of two three five hundred years they go and they create this massive network of power and wealth and secrecy i would say they, they probably lasted probably about 300 years they were in three continents and like 12 different countries in europe and parts of north africa and the middle east mm -hmm. and from when they were founded in 1096 1096 they were founded Jeez. they were founded by veterans of the successful first crusade of 1096 and 
they were a potent armed force group. You know, they were designed to protect Christian pilgrims. And the Pope, like we said, gave them special status, exemption from local laws and taxes, answerable to no one but the Pope. So, I mean, like you said, they probably pillaged. And they became rich and powerful, which was the actual demise. It's believed, as did the Jews, that Al-Aqsa was the site of Solomon's temple, from which sprung the belief that many holy relics had fallen into the hands of the Vatican. The Shroud of Turin, fragments of the cross and of the chalice used by Christ at the Last Supper, the Holy Grail, are among treasures it was popularly believed to have acquired. If you're familiar with what Dan Brown's conspiracies in his books, he had mentioned the Knights Templar very heavily and how they were keepers of Mary Magdalene's body and the Holy Grail itself. Can you imagine if... Because I think we said before in one of the previous episodes that was it like Ethiopia claims to have the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. But what if the Vatican actually had it? It would make more sense if the Vatican had it. Yeah, I'd say that would make a lot of sense. You have these religious relics, the Shroud of Turin, the cross and the chalice, the Holy Grail. But I think of the Battle of Jericho. Last episode, we had talked about the Diet Law of Pass and how there might have been some sort of a, a sound weapon that was used during the incident. And that was the story of, of the Battle of Jericho is that there was this trumpet sound and the soldiers would march around Jerusalem for, I think, seven days or something like that. And on the seventh day, they would sound the trumpet in the walls of Jericho would come down. Yeah. Maybe that is something that the Knights Templar used, you know. Maybe some of these things and these relics were weapons. Not only were they treasures that they had found along the way or relics that they were retrieving for the church, but maybe some of them were weapons and that's what made them so successful also. Could be. We stated it before, I'm pretty sure the Ark of the Covenant could have possibly been a weapon. So, it's entirely possible. The Ark of the Covenant is buried on fucking Oak Island and somebody else has to die before they can find it. Come on. These guys from Oak Island. Listen, if you guys ever They're in like eight <laughs> seasons, bro. Like, dude, this show's you guys fucking have garbage, spent bro. millions of dollars. Let's just- It's listen. not there. Real quick, just spend $100,000 more, get a really big fucking bomb and just bomb the shit out of that island. No, And you'll you find know, more in that wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing that bothers me with that, okay? The intro, they state that, like, <laughs> seven people have to die, six have died. Why are you spending all this money fucking sacrifice somebody? How bad do you want to find the treasure? <laughs> there, there's an old man that lives on the yeah, island. He's dude, been searching. He's practically dude, dead. Him, he's practically down dead. Push him down, a sha like, a mining shaft. It's very easy. Just do the, uh, like the CIA calls it, the drop. Then there you go, Holy Grail. <laughs> it's in the CIA handbook. I just don't get it. Well, guys, that was one hell of a service to sit through. <laughs> we have a whole nother service, so if you didn't make it to Saturday Night Mass, we're going to be here Sunday morning. <laughs> don't take those days literally, because we'll be here in a week for the next episode. But we have plenty more to talk about. <laughs> There is so much information around the Vatican, and it's such an interesting topic, and there's so many conspiracy theories. It's insane. But I, th I think, you know, we're covering we're covering some of the big ones. I think most of the big ones we're, we're really getting into and diving into. It's important to know the history behind these things to understand what the conspiracy is and to understand why the conspiracy would exist. So for as much information as there is, there's also, there's reasoning behind it all. And it's going to get deeper. 
some of the stuff we have planned for next week is even deeper into the archives of the Vatican and some stuff that you probably have never heard of. Shit's about to get <laughs> heated. It's it's about to get different. Shit's about to get biblical. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hushlings, thank you for joining us for this part one of the Vatican. Make sure that you are here next week for part two of the Vatican series where we'll get into some more deep dive stuff. Until then, reach out to us on all our social medias. We are on Facebook. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us anything that you want us to take a look at, if it's pertaining to the Vatican or anything past or something you want us to take a look at in the future. Please email us at hushhushsociety at planetmail.com. You can also go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe over there where we have all the audio from all of our episodes. Make sure to keep a lookout for our merch. We will keep you updated with t-shirts, stickers, anything that we are going to be putting our logo or designs onto and we will keep you updated with that trust it is coming soon dapper vatican yeah. trip dapper vatican drip <laughs> Yeah. Stay tuned for that dapper Vatican drip. Yeah. See, since we mentioned it, I've been wondering what Vatican t-shirts would look like. So, I'm Did not... you look them up yet? No. What if I... you make a shirt that just says dapper drip hush hush society on it? That'd be kind of fresh. Yeah. I'd wear that. And don't forget, Hushlings, to stay tuned for our new segment, The Cryptid Chronicles, which we're going to be talking about weird cryptids and paranormal things with some guests and that should be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for the release date for our first episode where we are going to be talking about the Jersey Devil. Well, Hushlings, thank you again for joining us for Debriefing 11, part one of the Vatican. We will see you next week on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.